Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 52. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. This is your host, Tim Smith. It's been about two months, um or just shy of two months since we put up our last episode. So I just wanted to fill everybody in as to what we've been up to. So we were recording two episodes a week during the beginning of the fall semester program at the field school. And like field school programs often do in the semester especially, uh, they become all-encompassing. So it's difficult to maintain anything outside of what we're doing on the semester and this includes uh, podcasting or you know to go so far as to even to maintain personal relationships becomes a challenge just because we're in a remote location it's hard to to stay communicating with the outside world and we're you know we're busy all day every day so at the end of the day really all by the end of the course all you can accomplish at the end of the day is to throw yourself onto a bed of some sort and crash out so so um, I think we did a, a pretty good job, in my opinion, of keeping up with it as long as we did. But, you know, it's a challenge and I'm not making excuses and I'm certainly not apologizing. Um, it was uh, fun and, um, you know, it is what it is. So with regards to the fall semester, uh, it ended greatly. Everybody uh, seemed to have a good time. We all ended as friends in, and uh, lots of smiles going around. It's always a real challenge to to end the semester courses just because you spend every minute with people uh, over the course of nine weeks and you develop really strong friendships and strong bonds when you're doing that. So it's a challenge to just all of a sudden one day wake up, shake hands, say, see you, see you later, see you down the trail and, and go your separate ways. So it's always a little bit emotional. Um, you know, it's like saying farewell to, to dear, dear friends. Uh, I think for me personally it's analogous to going away you know when I was a young guy going away and playing hockey um, in the USHL where you meet a whole bunch of strangers at the beginning of the season you spend every minute with them through the highs through the lows working towards a common goal building super strong friendships and then after the last game you shake hands and you go your separate ways and you know that's a it's a hard thing to do but everybody finished well. We had one of the students, um, Xander, congratulations again, who completed the Journeyman Guide Certification Program. Uh, that's no small feat. It takes a lot of work consistently over nine weeks to to complete that. So, um, you know, uh, 
it's a big accomplishment and we uh treat it as such so again xander way to go super proud of you for for finishing up everything uh, so since the semester ended, um, we've run another uh, field school course, a new course called the Autumn Woodsman, um, a week-long introduction to bushcraft course. We had a great time on that, a couple of great, great people, um, had a lot of fun, a lot of cheap laughs. Uh, the point of the Autumn Woodsman is to have a introductory course when it starts to get cold but there's no snow to deal with so it's not summertime there are no bugs you know the, it's cold enough to get your attention but maybe not cold enough to to make you pay any big price in the short term anyway so we had a great time with that since then i've been back home at the folk school working on revitalizing our programs here in new hampshire um cleaning up around here just getting things ready we're not going to have any folk school programs until january and then we're going to hit the ground running currently we've got three different programs on the go we've got the jack mountain axemanship course we've got the art and science of fire and we've got uh wilderness survival in the north woods in the winter uh, so each of those are a one-day course. Um, we've also got a lodge-based course coming up in late January where folks will make toboggans, runnered sleds, and fill up the rest of the week with making their own uh, mucklucks or snowshoe moccasins. So that should be a good time. I'm really excited about working, um, doing more work here at the folk school. For those of you who don't know, the folk school is where I live in New Hampshire, and it's where Jack Mountain got its start. So in the uh, early days of Jack Mountain, we ran all of the semester courses from here, from 2002 to 2007, before moving up to the field school in northern Maine. So it's uh, also the location of the original Jack Mountain, which is a hill out in the woods nearby uh, where I grew up and nearby where I'm sitting right now um, probably a 25 minute walk up to the ridge of Jack Mountain uh, but the fun story if you haven't heard it when I was a kid my brother our friends and I uh, were heading up there in the woods and an old guy who lived down the lake uh, named Pete great guy who's no longer with us now I remember him stopping us and saying, hey, where are you kids going? And we said, oh, we're going up on the hill, um, you know, with the exposed rocks and stuff. And there's cliffs up there. And so we'd go up there and pick blueberries and climb rocks and, and do what kids do. And he said, oh, you're going up on Jack Mountain. And I said, oh, OK. So from that moment on, it was always known as Jack Mountain. Uh, flash forward about 20 years and I was having a beer with with Pete and I told him about my idea for this business and told him I was going to call it Jack Mountain. And he says, Jack Mountain, you know, where's that? And I said, it's that hill up in the woods with the exposed rocks. And you told me that's what it was called back when I was a kid. And he kind of laughed and said, oh, yeah, he used to he used to drink a lot back in the day. And he didn't really remember telling me that. So funny, funny little story. Um, but the one of the awesome things about about life at the folk school is it hasn't really changed in that they haven't put in a whole bunch of developments. We back right up to about 150 square miles of woods, um, you know, with mountains, streams, ponds, a couple of wildlife management zones uh, or wildlife management refuges. So they're not going to build there. Um, and it's just a really nice, uh, beautiful spot. So. Over the last couple of years, I've actually been out with the GPS um, because there are miles and miles and miles of trails. So I've made a 
uh, trail map of all the trails around here that, that you can check out if you ever want to come up here and check out some of the trails. There are a lot of them. Um, anyway, uh, so definitely right into the off season for us. Um, December will be a slower month and I can tell that it's the off season for me because today I have to drive a kid to music class and then after music class I have to take that same kid to play practice so these are the sorts of things that I don't get to do when I'm at the field school um, but you know while I'm here at home at the folk school I get to do them and and to be honest I love doing them because it's it's uh you know that's what being uh, part of a family is all about um anyway so those are sort of our current events. We've got some other news on the go here. Um, we're still tinkering with the 2019-2020 year-long immersion program. I've spoke to several people on the phone about that recently. We're definitely leaning towards uh, making it a uh, incubator for entrepreneurs and small business people and leaning away from having it be all about living primitively on the land in four seasons. We'll still get a lot of that uh, primitive living experience uh, as part of the experience. Um, but I think the focus will be more on uh, grooming the next generation of entrepreneurs in the outdoor field. Um, so... We've also got our first online course on the web, um, and this is through our online learning academy, bushcraftschool.com. So what we've got up there now is a pre-course or a course prep for all of our 2019 winter programs. So the way that it works is when someone registers and pays a deposit for our winter program, we send them login information and then they can go through the online course, which is a series of text and videos and links and lists and things. Um, just a lot of information they need in order to be uh, ready to go for our field school winter programs, which include the Winter Woodsman and the uh, Boreal Snowshoe Expedition this year. So we're excited to finally get that off the ground. We've got huge plans for the online learning space in the years coming um and you know every big journey always starts with the first step so we're happy to have taken that that very first step um you know, have a sip of coffee here other updates we are still plugging away with the university of maine at presque isle um things are looking great to be in their catalog starting in the spring of 2019 i just got the notification from them that i've been approved as an adjunct professor with them so we're looking to have a really robust relationship uh with with umpy um Whereas they'll be able to process uh, student aid, financial aid. They will be hosting our courses in their catalog with direct credits. So we're just super, super excited to get our second uh, articulation agreement in the books, right? It just adds a little more validity to what we do. Um, years ago, when I started this business, uh, fresh out of graduate school with a master's degree in education, one of my main goals was to take traditional outdoor ed, things like bushcraft and primitive skills, and make them available to people getting university degrees in outdoor education. Up to that point, and even still mostly today, the vast majority of outdoor education at the college level <clears throat> is based around uh, mountaineering, hiking, ultralight backpacking, those things where the natural world is seen more as a backdrop 
to human endeavors and human interpersonal skills and relationships than it is as a uh, thing to study in itself. So with my background in anthropology, I was always interested in how cultures lived on the country, right? And, and I still am. It's, it's one of my long time, you know, lifelong research interests and much more so than I am in, you know, talking about uh, ultralight gear that allows us to travel across a landscape. I'm more interested in how did people live there. So you know, from the get-go, one of my goals was to make that a viable option because when I went to college, it's what I wanted to study, and but I just didn't have the opportunity to. So, you know, finding a hole, finding a gap and filling it is uh, is what I've been trying to do for 20 years now. And, and, you know, the more articulation agreements, the more recognition we get from colleges and universities and academia in general for our approach to outdoor education the better it feels, right? It just feels like we've accomplished something really useful and something that we set out to do a long time ago and have been working towards since then. So uh, um, just super excited about that. <clears throat> Was asked recently about, uh, and I get asked this a lot, you know, how did you get started in this? And this is a great field school, uh, I'm sorry, folk school origin story that I grew up in this small lake called Rust Pond and in the 1950s, some kids who are who were attending the summer camp um, down the road, they were swimming in the pond and they saw a funny looking log filled with rocks on the bottom. And this is about, I don't know, less than 300 yards from where I'm sitting now and from where I grew up. So they brought this log up to the surface and they realized that they had found a dugout canoe that some native people had made back in the day. And... Uh, that canoe now sits at a local natural history museum. So I remember being I remember being about four years old and being at the museum with my dad and he showed me the canoe and he said, you know, they found this right near where we live. <clears throat> and I was all full of questions, you know, I'm asking, well, who made it and, and what happened to them and how did they do it? And, um, you know, typical questions for a four-year-old kid. Uh, so I was just fascinated by that. And, and, you know, since then, uh, ironically, that's become my sort of research interest for, for life is trying to learn a lot about traditional cultures and how they lived on the land. Right. Um, so that, uh, story, I always, uh, pull out whenever anybody asks me, you know, how did you get started in this or where did you, where did you determine that you were really interested in, in primitive survival or bushcraft or living off the country or studying native cultures? And it all goes back to that. You know, I think a lot of us have certain instances that we had uh, or certain occurrences we had as young children. And, you know, that's what sort of defines our interest through life. Often we have a hard time uh, verbalizing them or, or, you know, figuring out exactly the impact that something had on you when you were really young. But for me, it's been pretty glaringly obvious, you know, since those early days as a kid that I just wanted to learn as much as I could about those people that made that canoe. Um, and you can still go see that canoe. It's at the Libby Museum here in Wolfboro, um, New Hampshire. So kind of cool. The, the, the thing with dugout canoes is they always lived in the body of water that they were made in. You know, essentially, I look out the window and there are some enormously large white pine trees growing all around the edge of the shore of, of Rust Pond here. So the trick would be to fell the tree into the water, then using fire and stone tools to hollow out the inside to make it a dugout 
canoe, um, and then you would paddle that. That boat would live on this body of water. And then when the fall came, <clears throat> getting ready for winter, what they would do would be to sink it to the bottom, fill it full of rocks to hold it on the bottom, and then the water acts as a preservative, and the canoe doesn't get caught in the ice and torn apart when the ice goes out. Um, you know, when the ice goes out, it's thousands of pounds of force. And, you know, that's why we have to take our docks out and everything in the fall, because if you leave it in, when the ice goes out, it's moving around and we'll just rip everything to shreds. So, um, just super cool to me that they found that canoe and it was just, you know, right here. Uh, so I always love that. I always love that story. The last thing I want to talk about today is, um, a note for future guides, outdoor instructors, things of that nature. So we work with a lot of young people who are interested in hanging their own shingle, working outdoors, starting a guide service, starting an outdoor education school. <clears throat> and one of the things that I always tell them is to read an article on digital sharecropping. Um, and this is essentially this is the idea of you shouldn't build things on land that you don't own in the real world if you rented a piece of property you wouldn't go build a fancy house there because you couldn't move it out after in the digital world you don't want to put too much energy into things that you don't have control over and there's a great article from copy blogger that i push all of our students into reading um, that describes this in general but what it means in practice for us is in 2019 we're moving away from putting a lot of energy into social media channels just because we've all heard the stories of algorithms and things that you know people will like us like our page on facebook and then they never see it unless we pay to have them see it and just a bunch of other stuff like that that uh it's just annoying over time so what we're doing in order to combat that is we're kind of focusing our energy on our own sites so we've got this podcast uh that we host ourselves um we are hosting all of our own video at this point um and we're limiting where we play that video in that we'll send links out to say Facebook and the other, uh, Instagram, other social media sites, um, alerting people that, you know, we've got a new video up, but we're really focusing on only showing that stuff on our own site with the idea being that if they cut us off further or change the algorithm again, you know, people are then used to seeing our stuff on our site. So essentially you're future proofing, uh, our, we are future proofing ourselves against changes in algorithms or, or anything else. You know, if you build things on land that you own, you have control. So if you're a young person out there interested in guiding, interested in getting into running your own business, that sort of a thing, we highly, highly recommend go read that article and I'll link it up in the show notes here on digital sharecropping and then really focus on looking at uh, only building on land that you own. <clears throat> One side note to this is it has to do with privacy. And you should know that whenever you go on any of the social media sites, they are mining all of your information because you and your information, that's the product, right? Uh, you are the product. That's how they make their money is selling your personal information to advertisers. <clears throat> so, um, 
we, because we're hosting all of our media on our own sites, we're not interested in your personal data. So ultimately, by us, uh, by us hosting our own media on our own website, we're really protecting your privacy because you can go and consume that media, you know, listen to the podcast, you can watch our videos, and we're not taking your information down. You know, our business model is not to learn everything we can about you and then sell that information to the highest bidder. Our business model is to run authentic courses and trips in the great outdoors. So we not only have no uh, way to to capture all your personal information. We don't really, really want your personal information. <laughs> you know, I don't want to maintain that. I don't want lists and, and, and things of, of people. I guess the only caveat here would be we do want your email address. We would like for you to join our email newsletter because it's another way that we can reach out to you directly without having to go through the social media uh, companies of the world. But Anyway, so for future guides, check that out. Read about uh, digital sharecropping and how you should avoid it. And if you're interested, you can use our site, especially our media site, as a model where we publish everything to our own site first and then we will send it out to social media. But ultimately, it's publishing on our own land, on land that we own in the digital universe that matters. So that's it for this episode. These are always harder to do uh, when I'm doing them by myself. It's easy if there's another person and we have a conversation, we can kind of feed off one another. This is more like a monologue. So they're maybe uh, just a little bit more challenging to pull off. As such, we probably won't be releasing podcasts as frequently uh, over the next month or two. Um, but we will continue to do them, you know, as we, as we're able. So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy it, please leave us a review wherever you listen to these and we will hit you back later. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.